Look to the book of Ruth, if you have your copy of the scripture with you. The book of Ruth in the Old Testament, beginning with chapter 1, Ruth chapter 1. And it says there in verse 1, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Mahalon and Chilion, Ephrahites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab, the name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelt there about ten years. And Mahalon and Chilion died also, both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. And then she arose with her daughter-in-laws that she might return to the country of Moab, return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was with her two daughter-in-laws with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughter-in-laws, Go, return each to her mother's house, and the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of your husband. Then shall... Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice, and they wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Why are, are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husband? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say, I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, and should also bear her sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice, and they wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clave unto her, and she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee, For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. And thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. And where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. And the Lord do so to me, and more so also, if aught but death part thee and me. Amen. That's a powerful testimony, isn't it? We read it a lot at weddings and a uniting of a husband and a wife together. And yet we find here in the context of the passage, it is not in the context of a wedding, but it was in the context of a mother and a daughter-in-law. But let me ask you a question. How you were raised, does that impact you much in how you live life? I, I, I mean, Char and I were discussing this this morning because, you see, some people were raised in a Christian family And because you were raised in a Christian family, and let me qualify that, that does not mean that mama professes to be a a Christian and daddy professes to be a Christian. That's not a Christian family solely. It means you are raised in a Christian family where mama and daddy both truly born again by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they make decisions in their life and their family in keeping with the word of God, seeking after the plan of God, seeking to glorify God, adjusting their life, their lifestyles to the people of God. That's being raised in a Christian family. It's not because someone professed faith, but they have no heart for Jesus whatsoever in their life. 
So you have people who are raised in a Christian family. You have people raised in a non-Christian family where neither the mother or the father, they have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you have people raised in a divided family, which would not be Christian, but one of the mother or the father is Christian. One is not Christian. But the key to what you have to understand is every one of us starts somewhere. And if you were blessed to be raised in a godly Christian family, you were blessed beyond what you deserve, beyond what I deserve. But when you still find yourself in life, you come to a place in your personal life where you have to make a response. What am I going to do with Jesus Christ? What am I going to do with the Word of God? How am I going to live my life to my glory or to His glory? To my and for my kingdom or for his kingdom. You have to make a response to Christ personally yourself. God has no grandchildren. Now you understand that. You can say, well, my daddy was a preacher. My mama was a singer. Whatever you might want to tell me. You live in a garage that don't make you a car, does it? No. See, 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 God has no grandchildren. It's only this first generation And you have to make a response to Christ, a choice to Christ, not just at the moment of salvation, but that is crucial. But every day you choose to live by faith and you live by faith by making choices that are in accordance with what the word of God teaches, with what the word of God tells us. And the story that you find here in the book of Ruth is an amazing, an amazing story. Because the central character of this story is a lady named Ruth. And Ruth was raised in pagan, filthy darkness. She was raised in a land called Moab that was an accursed people by God. And they were accursed to the point when Moses gave the law that nobody who was a Moabite could enter into the fellowship of God's people until the 10th generation. So Ruth was cursed. Her children were cursed. Her grandchildren. Do you see what's going on here? She lived in a hopeless time. But listen, when the time seems hopeless, God makes a way. And that's what you've got to understand. She was raised in pagan darkness. She was raised and their family and their culture served the God of, 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 of Moloch and the God of Chemish. And what they would do, they would take little babies and they would offer their babies on this burning sacrifice on a, on a, on a slab stone that was inclined inward that would tumble the child into the very belly of fire of these false pagan gods. And that's how they worshipped. Have they lost their mind? But that's what was going on. This is how she was raised. And whenever there was a famine, the priest would say, we've got to make another sacrifice. Whenever there was a war, the priest would say, we have to make another sacrifice. Whenever there was plagues that was entering into that, the priest would say, we've got to make another sacrifice. And so they would start going, looking for the children, looking for those that they would say would be the next sacrifice they would offer to their pagan gods. And so here, mommy and daddy, they'd be whispering with fear, praying just whatever, that they wouldn't come by their house and find their babies. See, even lost people pray. Every religion in the world prays. And so that's how Ruth was raised. 
And when they found a child suitable for sacrifice, they painted their wrists red, marking them as the sacrifice. And so, and so, so they would also say to ensure the fertility of their crops, they would hunt for young girls and they would make them temple prostitutes. And however that connected, I don't understand, but that's what they said. And, and so, so here Ruth was raised in pagan filthy darkness. She was raised where parents were scared for their babies. She was raised hearing the cries of babies rolling into the belly of that false god Moloch. She was raised smelling the stench of burning flesh as these babies were, were, were being destroyed. She was raised seeing probably friends and neighbor kids go and become temple prophets. That's how she was raised. Isn't it amazing how some people are raised? And if you weren't raised like that, and thank the Lord Jesus, I don't believe any of us were raised that style. We were blessed. But even though we may not have been raised that way, there comes a point where each of us have to make a response for ourselves to the person of Jesus Christ. And so what you find in this story, it's a book, it's a story of redemption. There's two books in the Bible that, that talk about redemption per se. One is the book of Exodus, and that is redemption by, that, that, that came as the children of Israel were led out of Egyptian bondage. It was redemption by power. And the other is the book of Ruth, and it was redemption by purchase. Because you see, what God did in Ruth's life was he brought her to the place where she met her kinsman redeemer. She met the one who could do only for her what she could not do for herself. And I hope you understand that Jesus Christ, he is your kinsman redeemer. He is my kinsman redeemer. He's the one who can do for me what I cannot do for myself. I cannot save myself. I cannot fix myself. I cannot be good enough. And it's only in Christ who purchased me, who purchased you. He bought you with his own blood. He gave his life on Calvary for your sin, for my sin, to forgive us, to say the debt is paid in full. He brought us so that we can have relationship with Almighty God and we can live in harmony with God. We can walk by faith and we can live to the glory of God and we can live for the kingdom of God and we can live with a purpose beyond me, mine, and mine. And how big can I build it and how much can I get? He says, I've bought you, I've sealed you, I've secured you for my glory, my honor, and you are to live for me. That's what life's about. But we live in a time where life's about getting all the stuff we can and grabbing all the gusto we can, and everybody's empty, and everybody's got issues because we're listening to the wrong person we're not listening to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're allowing things to get inside our lives that are not right. And so, so here's the story of Ruth. You find the Ruth. She was a woman who dwelt in a far-off land. She dwelt in a place of utter darkness, a place of utter despair. And yet God brought her to her kinsman, Redeemer, whereby she could know life and life in Him. There's three parts to this story. If you want to break down this book, you find, first off, how God sought her. You find, secondly, how God taught her. And thirdly, you find how 
how God bought her. You see, she lived outside the scope of God's promises. If you remember the story of Balak and Balaam, you will understand that's when they became an accursed people and they were cursed to the 10th generation and there was no hope for her, for her kids, her grandkids. Why? Because they were an accursed people by the very word of God itself. But hear me, when we think it's hopeless, God says, I've got hope. You've got to look to me. You've got to look to the right source. You've got to adjust your life to me. You've got to respond to me. And so God started seeking after this one who lived in such a way. He found a way. He sought her. Do you understand that God came looking for you one day? Do you understand God knows everything about you? God knows where you live. God knows what you do. God knows how you behave. He knows how you treated your wife this morning. He knows how you spoke to your kids last night. He knows everything about you. And he has sought you. And he is working in your life. And you don't even know it sometimes. He comes seeking. He comes looking. He comes wooing you. And we're oblivious to it. How did God seek out this woman named Ruth? Well, there's five things that God used to bring Ruth to where she could meet her kinsman redeemer. There's five things. There's five links in the chain that God used to bring her to her redeemer, Boaz. And the first thing God used was this. He used... A famine. That's what I said, a famine. That means a shortage, right? That means a lack of supply, a lack of resource. But it was not in Moab. The famine was in Judah. In fact, if you look at Scripture, there is 13 different famines recorded in the Bible. And what happens is God says, I'm going to allow shortage into your life. And this was shortage into the people of God's life. Do you realize that? He said, I'm going to allow shortage into your life because I need to train you. I need to teach you. And so here's Ruth living in pagan Moab. And she hears about a famine in far off Judah. Now, what does it do for you when you turn on the news and you see devastation in far off North Africa? We say, well, that's awful. And then we go back to doing what we were doing, right? Glad it's there and not here. And Ruth didn't even know that God was working through a famine there to begin to get her attention here where she was because God used this famine to get her to her redeemer and long before Ruth ever gave a conscious awareness to who God was and is God was thinking about her listen to me Long before you ever gave thought to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is thinking about you. And you may be here today thinking you're a pacifying your wife, you're shutting up your husband, you're doing something for your kids or your grandkids. But let me tell you, God is the one who has brought you here. He has drew you here and you don't even realize it. Why? Because that's how great our God is. He can do things and you don't even realize what's going on. And God allowed a famine into the land because he was thinking about Ruth. And all of a sudden, because a famine came in the land, a family, they all begin with F if you've not figured it out, the family moved into pagan Moab. And these were not a family of, 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 of pagans, but these were a family of believers. They were Ephraimites. They were from Judah. This family moved from Judah, Bethlehem. They moved to Moab. That makes no sense. Why would a person of God 
Leave the people of God. Leave the place of God. And move to a place of paganism. Because they were backslidden believers. Has anybody got a testimony about what it means to be backslidden besides me? All right. See, 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 see. They were backslidden. They were not where they were supposed to be doing what they were supposed to be doing. You see, God in the Old Testament, he dwelt with his people in a certain place in the land of Canaan. God in the Old Testament, he met with his people there in Judah. He met with his people there because they were the people of God. And, and, and see, Elimelech, his name, it meant my God is king. But hear me, that's not how it was practically in his life. Here's the deal. We got a famine, we got a shortage, and, and, and there's work down in Moab. And I'm not going to leave very long, but, but for a short time, I'm going to take my family down to pagan Moab because I got I to gotta work. And so I'm going to leave the, the presence of God. I'm going to leave the, where the provision of God is, and I'm going to Moab because I got to work. Now, that never happens today, now, does it? Listen to me. What his mouth said, my God is king, his name meant his life was denying. Because he left the place of God. In the Old Testament, you had to be in a place. In the New Testament, you have to be in a person. The Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Understand that. In the Old Testament, God's people dwelt in the place. In the New Testament, you know where God's people dwell? They dwell in a person, but the person's body is known as the body of Christ. The church is important. It is very important. And so here you have Ruth, this pagan demon-worshipping young lady who's lived in Moab all her life. All of a sudden, a famine takes place in faraway Judah. She doesn't even realize it's impacting her. But because of this famine, there's a family moves of believers, but their backs in. They move to Moab, and she gets to know them. In fact, she not only gets to know them, she marries one of the boys. And so she gets to know them even better. Now here, God is working and she doesn't even know it. He's bringing her to a place of truth. And she goes to her husband and she says, I don't understand why your mom and dad don't like me. And her husband says, it's not you, honey. It's your demonized religion. It's what you believe. It's what your family has practiced all your life. You don't know no better because that's how you were raised. But all of a sudden, God has intersected this unbeliever's life with backslidden believers. And even though they weren't where they were supposed to be, God was using them in spite of their self to teach a lesson to Ruth, who was a pagan Moabite. And all of a sudden, they started telling her stories about their God. They started telling her how God raised up Moses mighty to deliver his people from, from Egyptian bondage. They told how God sent Moses down and all those plagues that, that God 
God was saying, I'm God of everything. And she was just dumbfounded as she listened how God moved with redemptive love upon his people. She was amazed when he talked about how they walked across the water and the water split at the Red Sea. She was amazed how the waters came down on Pharaoh and his army and destroyed those who were pursuing. She was amazed as she started hearing the book of Joshua when Joshua led them across into the promise. She was just totally amazed as they would sing psalms to her about the glory of God and the purpose of God and the kingdom. And all of a sudden, they started stirring in her heart. You ever had it stirred in your heart? See, because that's how God works. God starts to lead you, to bring you, and you don't even know what's going on. You just think it's a happen chance. You just think I'm here by whatever reason. But all of a sudden, God has taken a bad situation of famine, and he's worked in your life in such a way, and he's introduced you to a family, and the family starts sowing seed of the Word of God inside your life. And all of a sudden, you just start saying, something's just not right inside me. I just don't understand why I'm feeling like I'm feeling, but i got to have more. Does that make sense to anybody? I mean, do you remember lostness? <laughs> do you remember how, how, how you did not want to be around God's people because you knew every time you were around them, you felt this tremendous conviction of sin, but you would find yourself around God's people because there was something there. And then when you met him, <laughs> your burdens rolled away at Calvary, right, guys? There's nothing like having forgiven written over your life. When Jesus died on Calvary's tree, he cried out to tell us die, paid in full. He purchased you. He purchased me with his blood. I was bought. You were bought. And what is happening here with her, she is being sought and she has entered into this family and they're because of a famine. But then there's a funeral. In fact, there's three funerals daddy dies and both boys die and you got three widows mingling their tears together saying i don't understand this doesn't make sense this doesn't seem fair and ruth could have taken the way of bitterness and ruth could have said if that's the way your god is i don't want nothing to do with him if that's how your god acts i don't want any part of it but no she did not go the route of bitterness saying i have a right to be mad i have a right to be bitter no she said to her mother-in-law i'll never leave you your god will be my god you hear See, see, sometimes we get bitterness and allow bitterness into our life because we think we have a right. And all we do is hurt ourselves, condemn ourselves, frustrate ourselves. And so here she stands, mingling her tears with her sister-in-law and her mother-in-law because here she's faced this, this terrible situation, but it's just a link in the chain to bring her to her kinsman redeemer because all along God is at work behind the scenes. Believers, you understand that. God is at work even when we don't see him working. 
And then the, the fourth thing was fear entered into her heart. Now, you remember, she had a, she had a famine take place, and, and then she had a, had a family move into her life, and then she had a funeral that came into her life, and all of a sudden fear comes into her life because her mother-in-law, Naomi, gets up one morning and says, Listen, I've got word from a home. I've got word from Bethlehem, Judea. There's, there's abundance. There's provision. God is moving. God is answering. And I'm leaving here. I'm going out of Moab. I'm not going to be backslidden any longer. I'm getting right with God and you all don't need to go with me. Sometimes when you are in a backslidden state, you don't give real good advice. Because she spins and she starts trying to talk her daughter-in-laws out of coming with her. And she is able to talk her one daughter-in-law, Orpah, out of coming with her. And this is a sideline. Orpah, in extra-biblical literature, do you know what Orpah, who she grandchild was? Goliath. Hmm. And you understand that Ruth's grandbaby ended up being David. Isn't that an amazing thought? Anyway. Fear grips her heart. Because you see, the only light she had, and it was not much, but the only light she had was getting ready to be put out. And she said, no, I'm going with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Now, Orpha said, you're right, Mom. I've had enough. I believe I'm going to go back. And she goes back to pagan darkness. She goes back to her demon gods. She goes back. And Naomi has a bad memory on her mind because of what she said. And in hell, Orpah still lives because she said no. You understand, all kinds of people make responses. Orpah made a response. Orpah aligned with the people of God that was there. But the test of genuineness is called perseverance. It's called the continuing in the faith. Right? Because you see, God says, when I save you, I enable you. And you keep on going. Do we do it perfectly? No. We fall down, but we get back up. A righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. And part of an evidence of salvation that is genuine is there is a perseverance where you keep on persevering. You keep on pressing in. You keep on pressing on. But that didn't happen with Orpah. Orpah said no, and she goes back to pagan darkness. She goes back and she leaves everything that she knew. And so here you have this woman, Ruth. She's going with her mother-in-law alone. And she said, yes, this fear, because you're going to leave. The only light I've got is going to leave. No, I'm going with you. And then she finds herself in the fifth link in the chain. She finds herself in a field. And the field belonged to Boaz. And Boaz was her kinsman redeemer and she didn't even know it. And Boaz was the one who could do for her what she could not do for herself. And she didn't even know it. And so as you start going through this book of Ruth, what you will find was here was this this young lady that God was seeking all the time. Hear me person, you're here today. You don't even know why you're here. You're here to pacify somebody. Maybe you just turned in here at church time because you thought I gotta go to church somewhere. Hear me, God is working. God is drawing. God is leading. 
to you. And God has said, I'm going to speak to you today. I'm going to challenge your heart today. I'm going to draw you. I'm going to woo you by my Holy Spirit. Why? Because the day is the day of salvation. The day is the day you can meet your kinsman redeemer. The day is the day you can be washed in the blood of Christ and be brand new. Have your sins forgiven. Your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Today's that day. God is always working. When we don't think nothing's going on, God is always working. And, and so, so you see here in chapter 2, while she was taught. See, see, chapter 1 tells us how she was sought. In chapter 2, you see how she was taught. You see, see, she gets up one morning and she looks at her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she says, Naomi, I need to get a job. We are poor. We are going to starve to death. And you know what Naomi said? She said, we're in Bethlehem, Judea. We're in Judah. We're in the place of God. Do you know what God has here? We have a welfare system. She said, say what? She said, yes, we have welfare. You see, farmers, when they harvest their crop, they go through one time. And they have to leave the corners for us poor folks. And everything they didn't get on the first cut around that they may have missed, they're not allowed to go back and get it. That's our welfare system. Isn't it great? Nobody delivers it to your mailbox. You have to go out and work for it. You have to go out and get it, but you won't starve if you want to get something to eat. But God's people had welfare. He said, I'm provided for you. And she said, what do I do? She said, you go out to the field. And you start to glean. And so here's this Moabite woman named Ruth going out to the fields. And I can see God in heaven nudging one of the angels saying, watch this. She don't know where she is, but she's in the field of Boaz. She's in the field of the man who can do for her what she cannot do for herself. And she don't even know it. She thinks she's here by happen chance, but she doesn't know I've originated. I've, I've, I've sent everything into her life for such a time as this. And I brought her to this spot where she gets to respond to her kinsman redeemer. But she's got to respond. And so here's Ruth. She's standing there looking at those other women. And all those other women, they're speaking a language she doesn't even really understand. They're singing a song, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. We shall go rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. And all of a sudden she said, what am I going to do? I don't look like them. I don't sound like them. But I'm hungry and I need something to eat. I'm going. And she goes out into that field and she starts to glean. And all of a sudden Boaz walks up. And Boaz is a righteous man. Boaz is a virtuous man man and Boaz is a rich man because only a rich man can redeem because there is a price that you have to pay and see that's why Jesus Christ for your sake he became poor he left the riches of all of glory to come down to this earth and to suffer and to bleed and to die why so he could pay for Mark's sin so he could pay for Shar's sin so he could pay for your sin but you've got to respond so Boaz says Who's that? And they said, that's Naomi's daughter-in-law. Her husband died in Moab. You see, when Elimelech went to Moab, 
His idea was, I won't stay long. I'll just stay long enough to get some things fixed. And all of a sudden, he stayed longer than he wanted to stay. It cost him longer than he wanted to pay. And that's the way sin is. And daddies, our sin impacts our kids greatly. Our sin impacts our kids greatly. Because God has ordained that we as the head of the home, we understand some things and we teach our kids to walk by faith, not to backslide. Listen to me. Boaz says, who's that? And they said, that is Ruth. That is Naomi's daughter-in-law. Her husband died back in Moab. And he said, let me tell you what you do for, 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 for Naomi's sake and for, or for Ruth's sake. He said, I want you to go over there and give her at 10 omers of grain of barley. Well, how much is an omer? Well, you go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Exodus, when the children of Israel had manna come down from heaven. God said every great big strapping man is an omer, can, is all he can carry. That's an omer. So great big strapping men and omers as much as you can gather up and carry. And he gave her ten omers. So here she comes in. And I don't now know how the omers got there. I would say Boaz sent some help. But all of a sudden you've got ten omers of grain sitting on the porch. And Ruth, Naomi comes out and she says, My, my. She's going back to her Moabite ways because there ain't no woman ever gleaned this much. Ruth, Ruth. Where'd this come from? And Ruth says, I met a man. Oh, law, you met a man? That's what I'm worried about, Ruth. What's going on? She said, his name is Boaz. And all of a sudden, something clicks inside Naomi's mind. And she starts giving good advice this time. She starts giving advice that will lead to life. She gives advice that will lead to, to your spiritual health. She gives advice. And she said, that man Boaz, he's close of kin. He's near of kin to you. He's your kinsman redeemer. He can do for you what you cannot do for yourself. But you've got to go to him. And you've got to get at his feet. And you've got to ask him to marry. Ladies, did you ask your husband to marry you? And I know some of you probably did. But don't spoil my story. You have to get at his feet and say, Boaz, will you redeem me? Boaz, will you do for me what I can't do for myself? Boaz, I want to be a part of your family. Marry me. Now here's what Ruth could have done. I ain't doing that. And we got people say that every Sunday. Because pride. What are they going to think about me? Pride damns more people to hell than anything I believe. Let me think about it. And she's run over by an ox cart on the way home and she dies. See, when, when Jesus calls you, that's when he expects you to respond to him. You're never guaranteed another opportunity, another day. The Bible says life is short. It's but a vapor. It's here for a moment, then it's gone. The Bible tells us that the Spirit of God will not always strive with a man, with a woman. When he's seeking you, when he's drawing you, you respond to him because God says, it's on my time. I don't dictate to you per se or you don't dictate to God. But God says, here's how it works. 
she could have said, well, I can just go glean some more tomorrow. But she said, I go get her to his feet, and I ask him that I can come into his family. She did! And he did! And it was done! Isn't that good? She goes and gets at his feet and startles him. And she says, Boaz, will you redeem me? And he said, there are some aspects of the law that have to be fulfilled. And he fulfilled every one of the aspects. And he took this pagan Moabite woman and became her kinsman redeemer. He purchased her. He came into her life and she came into his life. And they had a baby and the baby's name was, I need help. It's in the last chapter. Nobody can help me. Obed. And Obed had a son named Jesse. And Jesse had a son named and David is the line of Jesus. Do you see this? Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. He left glory to come down to this earth to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And he's saying right now, come to me. He's saying right now, ask to come into my family. He said, right now, I'll love you. I'll forgive you. I will pay the price for your soul. For the cleansing blood was shed on Calvary's tree. Won't you say yes? Or you can say, well, I couldn't do that. What's all these people going to think? And the fear of man will choke out the very presence of God from speaking to your heart. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, we bow before you this morning. And God, I come for you.